Just somebody there right beside you. Just right beside you. Shake their hand and let them know how much you love them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. I love you, Lord Jesus. I pray a spirit of revelation on the house today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray a spirit of revelation to flow, spirit of revelation to fall. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. How many are going to plug into the word of the Lord today? Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to stay focused on what the Lord is dealing with us about. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Presence of the Lord. The first directive in the vision that God has given us to fulfill is to reach up in worship to the one true God. Somebody say worship. Jesus himself would say it like this in John chapter 4 and verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So it is that we find the Lord is seeking after those who will worship him in the manner in which this book instructs us to worship him. Because of that, the Lord desires for us to understand what he deems to be true worship. He started us on a journey, a series, a pursuit of what the word of the Lord would say about true worship. I want to get to the heart of worship. Somebody said amen. I want to get to the heart of worship. Not what I think worship is, but what he says worship is. Not what society says, not what religiosity says worship is, but what does the book say worship is. And again, let me say to truly understand what worship is, it's imperative that we understand that our English word worship comes from two words, worth and ship. Therefore, we truly, to truly be a worshiper doesn't mean that we clap, raise our hands, dance or shout or run the aisles. For to be a true worshiper begins and has its foundation in the fact that that individual doing those things has placed a higher value on God in their lives than they have placed on anything else. Somebody said amen. The psalmist would say it like this in Psalms chapter 57 and verse 5. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all that is in the earth. Heavens speak of the spiritual dimensions and the earth would speak of the natural dimension. And the psalmist is declaring the fact that he is he has exalted the Lord, esteemed the Lord above everything in any and every dimension that he might ever operate in. He said, it doesn't matter where I am, what dimension I'm ever in. I want you to know, God, I have exalted you above everything else in whatever dimension I ever operate in. Worship. He would go on to say this in Psalms chapter 97 and verse 9. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all lowercase g gods. God, you alone are high above everybody else. There are no other gods in my life but you. Oh, hallelujah. You see, because if we have other gods in our lives other than him, then we cannot be a worshiper. It doesn't matter how good we sing, how loud we clap, how high we jump. 
If we have other gods in our lives other than the one true living God, then we are not true worshipers. You alone are above all other gods in my life. I put you first in all that I am. I put you first in all that I do. My conversation puts you first. My lifestyle puts you first. My ambitions put you first. My pursuits put you first. I put you first with my time. I put you first with my talent. I put you first with my treasure. To put God first is to determine that he is more important to you than any other person. His word is more valuable to you than any other message. And his will is weightier to you than any other calling and any other pursuit. That's what real worship is. And that's what real worship looks like. Somebody said amen. Some more monitor please. That's what real worship is. That's what real worship looks like. It's because of that that we understand the fact that the whole issue of life and living and God and the Bible and eternity and salvation and judgment and heaven and hell all has to do with worship. Because when you boil everything down, you'll find that all sin flows from perverted worship. When we value something else higher than what we value God, that's sin. And salvation and redemption is the correction of the object of worship. Which is when we decide to correct what we value the most in order to put God back in his rightful place as the preeminent potentate of our lives. When we decide to value and esteem and give the highest worth that we have to give to God and God alone. Sin is the removal of God as the main object of our worship. Salvation is the reinstatement of God as the sole object of our worship. And it is absolutely imperative that we understand, hear me, that what we worship will be the defining medium for what we will become. What you and I worship is going to determine what we become. More than our upbringing, more than our friends, more than our education, more than our financial status, more, the envi- more than the environment that we live in, it will be our worship that determines our life and our worship that determines our eternity. For worship is the determination of who or what is first in our lives. And whoever and whatever is first in our lives is who or what we're going to follow after. You follow the leader. Therefore, our worship will determine what our future looks like now and throughout all of eternity. So I think this subject of worship is a pretty big deal. Oh, hallelujah. And I believe it is worthy of us finding out what the word of the Lord says worship is all about. Now, everybody good today? There are several verses in scripture that would give us an understanding or uh, better yet, an example or a pursuit or a model of what our church services should look like. First Kings chapter 8 and verse 11. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory, somebody shout the glory, of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 14. 
so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord, the house of God. Now, I don't think uh, it's God's will for every service to be such that the ministers can't minister because we understand and know that the preaching and the teaching of the word of the Lord is a very biblical thing to do. But I do believe it is God's will for his glory to fill his house every time we come together. I might still preach or the preacher might still preach, but it's the will of God for his glory to fill his house. And what I feel the Lord is trying to show us as we're journeying down this path that he's leading us is that it is just possible that we have a mindset, picked it up somewhere along the way, that thought that his glory is released because of our singing or our clapping or our dancing or our jumping or because of our demonstration of any other outward display of praise that we might offer. We may have thought that if we will shout, it'll release the glory of God. If we'll release praise words from our lips, it'll release the glory. If we'll sing as best as we can, it'll release the glory of God. That may be what we have thought. But I don't know that that's necessarily a biblical reality. For Jesus, quoting Isaiah, would say this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And they praise me, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. They are shouting, yes, but they're not releasing any glory. Are you with me? They're saying praise words, but it's not moving God to action at all. They're speaking the right words in the church house. They're standing, they're clapping, they're demonstrating. But heaven is not responding at all to what they would call worship. In fact, heaven sees their worship as being in vain. Worship that is done in vain has no power to unleash the glow to fill the house. And whereas we know that worship is biblical, the outward demonstration of worship is biblical and shouting is biblical and singing is biblical and dancing is biblical and rejoicing and running and all of those things are biblical. Please don't think I'm saying something that I'm not. I'm not saying we should stop all those things. All of those things are absolutely biblical and we need to be doing them. But we also need to see that those things do not cause the glory of the Lord to be released on their own merit alone. For those things absolutely release the glory of God in a place if, if they are founded upon and have their basis upon a heart that has valued God above everything else. Oh, hallelujah. That's why I've been in services when the place is going nuts and there's absolutely zero presence of the Lord in the room. You've been there, I've been there. Why? Because they're demonstrating, they're clapping, they're singing, they're praising. Everything sounds good. But it's, it's coming from hearts that have not esteemed him. Come on, Jesus. So therefore, it's not worship at all. 
So I want to show you today, and this is my assignment for the next little while. I want to show you what it is that actually releases the glory of God to fill. How many want the glory of the Lord to fill this house? Come on. I mean really fill this house. Now listen, we, we have good services around here. We've got great services around here. We have powerful moves of God around here. But church, I want us to understand we haven't even scratched the surface of his glory. Oh, we've tapped into it. We've experienced a little bit of it. But we're just, we're just kind of tapping around in the shallow end. There's greater things that God has for us. There's dimensions of his glory that he wants to release into this room that is going to be above and beyond anything we could ever believe, anything we've ever seen before. Come on, church, you cannot believe that just because we've had some great church and some great services that we've seen everything that God has to give. No, sir, we have not exhausted the glory of the Lord. We have not gone through the heights and the depths and the links and the breadth of the glory of the Lord. There's way more to his glory that he wants to demonstrate in this house. So what is it? 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 What do we have to do to release the glory of the Lord? If it's, if it's, if it's more than just a clap, if it's more than just a shout, what is it? So I want to show you what it looked like. I want, I, I, want, I want to take you now to what it looked like the first time God's glory was made manifest in the lives of humanity. In order to do so, I take you to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And the Bible says this. Stay with me now, okay? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Here we find and we first see that there was chaos, confusion, Disorder in the earth. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon disorder and brought about order and purpose. His Spirit moved those first six days in order to bring control into chaos. His Spirit moved and it separated light from darkness and land from sea and day from night and the skies from the ground. His spirit moved and it brought order to the day and to the night and it ordered the seasons and the times. That which was in disorder and in disarray now aligned itself up with what God had established and that which God had ordained. Come on, Jesus. And then from the disorder of elements found scattered throughout all of the land, God takes from the earth the exact amount of elements necessary to create a human body and makes from those now ordered Structured, perfectly paired, aligned elements, man, and calls his name Adam. For six days, the Spirit of the Lord moves about in order to bring divine order into disorder and divine purpose into chaos. And then the psalmist tells us what happens next. Psalms chapter 8 and verse 5. For thou hast made him, talking about Adam, a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory. Ooh. Understand now, all other creatures, creatures at creation were given coverings. Animals had fur and birds had feathers and fish had scales. But man did not need an outer covering because they were completely encircled 
surrounded by the glory of the Lord. And this is important because they had a set time every day to meet Jesus or to meet the Lord in the garden, in the cool of the evening. But what you have to understand uh, is that the glory of the Lord uh, was not just made manifest uh, when they had a set time to come into his presence, but the glory was manifest 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were encircled by, completely enclosed by the glory of the Lord. And what I feel the Holy Ghost would want to say to this great church from this text is that in order for us to experience the fullness, the encircling, the enveloping of God's glory all around us, then like in those first six days of creation, we also have to become obedient and submitted to the spirit of the Lord as it moves upon us to bring order and structure and divine separation. Oh. I know somebody's thinking, well, pastor, when you announced we're going into a worship series a week and a half ago, man, I thought we'd be running and jumping and clapping the whole time. It's because we don't have a real full understanding of what worship is. Because if we want the glory of the Lord to encircle and envelop and to engross all that we are, we also must first allow the Spirit to move and divide some things. It's not going to happen because we clap or because of our outward praise alone. But it will happen when the individual who's giving the praise has first allowed themselves to be submitted to the moving of the Spirit as it separates them from some things and divides from them some other things and brings order into their lives according to that which would please the Lord. Hear me. Worship can absolutely be demonstrated by the shout. But worship is not a shout. Because true worship is to value the Lord so highly as to be submitted to him when he tells us to separate ourselves from that way of thinking. You're not thinking right. You're believing a lie. I want you to separate yourself from the lie. And we say, amen. And we separate ourselves from how we are thinking. And he tells us, there's, some, there's, there's a particular way you're living that I don't want you to live like that. That is not pleasing to me. That is not holy unto me. I want you to separate yourself from that lifestyle or that particular part of a lifestyle. And the individual that's a true worshiper will say, amen. And will allow the spirit of the Lord to separate them. True worship, true worship is to be submitted to the spirit when it moves upon us to set bounds. He said, ocean, you can only come so far at creation. He said, I'll create this, but you can only come. I'm setting a boundary for you. Night, you have boundaries. Sun will come up. Sun, day, you have boundaries. Eventually, the moon's going to show up. Everything I create has to have boundaries. So then why don't we think we should have boundaries? We just want to clap. We just want to dance. But we don't want anybody to put any boundaries on us. God's talking to us right now. We just want to do what we want to do. We don't want anybody telling us how to live. We don't want anybody telling us how to talk and how to dress. And I'm my own man or you're your own woman and I can do what I want to do but I want to come to the house of the Lord and I want to lift my hands because I'm a worshiper. 
You're not, a, you're not at all a worshiper. In fact, your worship is in vain. Come on, Jesus. See, because if we don't allow the Lord to establish boundaries, it is impossible for us to be a worshiper. But if we allow him to, if we allow him to, and establish limits, we don't want limits. Come on, somebody. Mm. You're thinking real good today. We don't want limits. We don't want to be limited by anybody or anything. Limits go against our flesh. Limits go against our carnal thinking. We don't want anybody to limit us. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be limitless in my abilities to live how I want to live. We don't want restrictions. We don't want borders. When God, sit in my nose, but when, when God gave the children of Israel the promised land, he gave them very in specific instructions for where the promised land would be. And he said, north, here's the boundaries. And south, here's the boundaries. And you can go west, here's the boundaries. And east, here's the boundaries. And he says this, you will be blessed whithersoever you go. Now, if you read it incorrectly, it means, it sounds like it means Wherever you want to go, you're blessed. But that's not what the word whithersoever means. The word whithersoever means going within the confines of a boundary. What he's saying is this. Blessings are absolutely going to fall. Glory is absolutely going to be made manifest. Hear me. As long as you allow yourself to remain in the boundaries that I have established for you. But if you get outside of the boundaries or you don't associate the boundaries with your life and you want to get beyond them, then don't expect glory. Don't expect blessing. Don't expect favor. But you can go wherever you want to go in the boundaries. And wherever you go in there, you're going to feel the glory, the presence, the power of the Lord. In the boundaries, I'll be your way maker. In the boundaries, I'll be Jehovah Jireh, your provider. In the boundaries, I'll be your healer. In the boundaries, I'll be your savior. In the boundaries, I'll be with you closer than any brother. In the boundaries. So it is. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to submit ourselves to the boundaries that he has set up? The restrictions, the borders, submitted to him when he defines what is darkness and what is light. Submitted to him when he delineates that which is holy and that which is unholy. Well, this is what I think is holy. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what the one who is holy thinks. And can we become submitted to his holiness? Doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what church flavor you came from. What matters is he's holy. And we are to get our directive of holiness from him. Be ye holy because I'm holy. Come on, somebody. Ah. And can be, we be submitted to the holiness of God when he says, that's not pleasing to me? Can we be submitted to the holiness of God when he says, what you're doing is not pleasing in my sight? Or do we say, well, this is what I've always done. This is how I've always lived. I've been in church for 30 years and I've done it for all 30 years. So why should I stop doing it now? We don't want the boundaries. We want to serve God on our terms. And then we wonder where the glory is. We want to serve God in a way that's comfortable to us and then we wonder where the glory is. The book would describe it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ. Love is simply a demonstration of who Christ is. For the love of Christ. God is love. Constraineth 
us. If we want the glory to be revealed like it's never been revealed before, we have to become willing to allow the Spirit of the Lord to constrain us. Come on, is God talking to anybody right now? When we want to do this or when we want to do that, we allow His Spirit to constrain us. Don't do that. Don't do that. I know you want to in your flesh, but the Spirit is constraining you. And it's the individual that says, I will allow the Spirit of the Lord to constrain me. Instead of allowing my flesh to do what it wants to do, I'll allow the constraining process of His Spirit to be made manifest in my life. The Holy Ghost is trying to give us this spiritual revelation today. Because in order to bring us to the next level that he's trying to take us to, we have to understand. Listen, if you don't get anything else, we have to understand that the level of God's glory that is released in this house and the level of God's glory that is released in our homes and in our lives is not at all dictated by God. Not in the least. But rather it is dictated by our level of willingness to allow the Spirit to constrain us in order to live within the biblical parameters and guidelines and borders that most glorify So we cannot, it is disingenuous to live however we want to live and then show up to the house of the Lord with an expectation of glory. It's a fallacy. It is an absolute fallacy to do what we want to do, throw off all types of restraint, be disobedient in this area or that area, and then show up to the house of the Lord and show me your glory. Because he's not going to show it to you. And he's not going to show it to me. And it's not because he's withholding it. It's because we haven't positioned ourselves to receive it. And he's not going to send something so wonderful and beautiful onto a people who are unwilling to be submitted to him. Because it's all about worship. Oh, come on, Jesus. So how bad do we truly desire to see his glory? I'm asking the question of us all today. Because I told the Lord before service, God, I want to preach to myself harder than anybody I preach to in this room. How bad do we truly desire to see his glory? In a dimension like we've never seen his glory before. Do we want to see it enough to allow him to separate us from some things? that we have been holding on to so tight? Or do we want to keep holding on to those things and only see a semblance of his glory? Do we want to see it enough to make some drastic changes in our lives that would allow us to become more like Christ? When's the last time we made a drastic change in our life? in order to become more like Christ? Do we want to see it enough to move beyond that spiritually shallow mindset of merely doing that which is necessary to get to heaven? I'm just going to do what I got to do to get to heaven. Is it heaven or hell? If it's heaven or hell issue, I'll side on the side of heaven. But if it's not exactly a heaven or hell issue, then I'll just live how I want to live. You're going to be saved probably, but you're never going to see his glory in a demonstration like he has promised us to see his glory when we live on that shallow dimension of heaven or hell. Do we want to see it enough to go beyond that mindset of doing those things because we have to? If I have to do it, then I'll do it. 
if I have to go to church, if I have to pray, if I have to do this, if I have to give tithes, if I have to dress this way, if I have to let my hair like that, if I have to do this, if I have to do it, then I'll do it. Are we willing to desire his glory to a dimension where we move beyond the dimension of just doing this because we have to do it and enter into a dimension of doing it because we know that it pleases a holy God. And I'm not living in these parameters because I'm forced to live in these parameters. I'm living in these boundaries because I know it pleases the Holy One of Israel. It pleases the one who saved me. It pleases the one who died for me. It pleases the one who shed his blood for me. It pleases the one who forgave me of my sins and washed my sins away and filled me with his precious spirit. I don't do this because I have to. I do it because it pleases him. You see, when you get that mindset, what you are saying is, I'm happy to be submitted to the boundaries. And when you're happy and submitted to the boundaries, it moves you into a dimension of being a true worshiper. I want you to see something now. Somebody said amen. The Lord speaks to Moses. Stay with me now. Stay with me. The Lord speaks to Moses about how he was to build the temple in the Old Testament for his glory to dwell in. And the writer of Hebrews would speak of it this way when he says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Now watch. Who serve unto the example in the shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see saith he, that thou make, you're kind of talking about the Lord, the Lord having this conversation with Moses, say, see, I want you to make all things according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Moses, you don't get to build my temple however you want to build it. You don't get to make my temple look like what you want my temple to look like. I want you to follow the pattern that I have given you. I've told you exactly what it's supposed to look like. I've told you exactly how to build it. And that's exactly my expectation of what it should be. In fact, there are multiple chapters in the book of Exodus where we find the Lord giving very specific instructions for how he wanted his temple to look. And I want to show you how specific God was with all of this. I, there's a few verses I want you to, I want to read in your hearing, but I want you to get the point of what I'm trying to say. This is how specific God was about all of this. Exodus 39 and verse 32. Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses for what the temple was supposed to look like. Verse 33. And they brought the tabernacle unto Moses, the tent. Now, now just get the picture. And all his furniture, his tashes, his boards, his bars, his pillars, and his sockets. And the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony, the staves thereof, the mercy seat, the table, and all the vessels thereof, and the showbread, the pure candlestick, with the lamps thereof, even with the lamps to be set in order, and all the vessels thereof, and the oil for the light, and the golden altar, and the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, and the hanging for the tabernacle door. The brazen altar and his grate of brass, his staves and all of his vessels, the laver and his foot, the hangings of the court, his pillars and his sockets and the hanging for the court gate, his cords and his pins and all the vessels of the service of the tabernacle for the tent of the congregation, the cloths of service to do service in the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister in the priest's office. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of the Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord 
had commanded. Even so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. I read all of those things. Because I wanted us to see. That when it came to God's temple. He was not just interested in the big things. The prominent things. Or the most notable things. No, no, no. When it, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. When it came to his temple, the Lord wanted everything to be in alignment with the pattern that he had established. Everything. Somebody shout everything. It did not matter to God. If those things were noticeable or unnoticeable, big or small, significant or seemingly insignificant, publicly displayed or privately displayed, he wanted everything to be exactly how he said it should be. I want to give you a for instance of what I'm talking about. Look at this, Exodus chapter 26 and verse 32. God speaking to Moses, giving him the plan. And he says, and thou shalt, stay with me please, and thou shalt hang it upon four pillars. So you're going to build these pillars. Thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood, overlaid with gold. Now, what we need to know about shittim wood was that it was, a very, it was very difficult to harvest. Because it had large two to three to four inch thorns coming out all over it. Can you imagine trying to cut that? It was like a big bush. And you had to get to the trunk of it because that's where the wood would come from. But you had all these thorns. Difficult. Not only that, but it was a very, very heavy wood. So once they had dealt with all of the thorns, it was then very cumbersome and heavy to carry the wood to where it needed to be. And it was a very hard wood. So cutting it was difficult. Shaping it was difficult. They didn't have power tools. They didn't have Ryobi. Carving it was difficult. Making it be what God told them to do with the very specific dimensions and instructions. It was very hard to do. But here's the thing, Sister Fable. This is the revelation God gave me. I want you to see. God required them to go through all of that effort, all of that work, all of that sacrifice. And then he says, now cover it with gold. I just hiked 20 miles out into the desert. Look at all the scars all over me from pushing through those thorns. Cut it down. Drug it. Chiseled it. Blood, sweat, and tears. And now you're saying cover it with gold? Nobody's even going to see it. And if nobody's going to see it, why couldn't I have used an easier wood? Come on, Jesus. Why couldn't I have used a more convenient wood? If it's just going to be covered over. But they understood the fact that it was not about their convenience. And it was not about their ease. And it was not about what was comfortable for them to do. It was about God's pattern. Come on, Jesus. My friend, I'm here to tell somebody. He has an expectation for what his temple should look like. <laughs> My Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are temples 
of the Holy Ghost. And there is a pattern for how he wants us to look and how he wants us to live and how he wants us to talk and how he wants us to dress and how he wants us to live. There's a pattern and it's not established by man. It is established by the word of the Lord. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be ye holy for I am holy. There's a pattern. And if we want to see little glory, then let's allow our temples to be conducted in a manner that is comfortable. Convenient. Easy. It is easier to not have to live holy. It's easier to not have to stand out. How many know it's easier to go with the flow than against the flow? It's easier to look like everybody and act like everybody, fit in with everybody else. Now, we understand the ramifications of that, but you know what I'm talking about. Ultimately, it's not easier because sin leadeth to death and death it's destruction. But you understand what I'm talking about as far as lifestyle choices. It's easier. You may be seated. It's easier. It's easier. How many know there's things we do that is not at all convenient? It's not comfortable to live this way. I had a lady one time. I probably told this story before. We were in the Still over in the other building. I had a lady one time I was preaching. And it was, a, it was a, a guest lady. She was a devil is what she was. But she showed up and she wanted, somebody told me after service, she wants to talk to you. And I didn't want to talk to her. I just, I just picked up a wrong vibe from her. I, I don't want to talk to her. And so I, just, I, I was just doing everything else, talking to everybody else. And I just figured the lady would leave. She stuck around and stuck around and stuck around. Eventually, I think it was just me and my wife and this lady left. So I thought, well, I guess I better talk to her. So I went over and I, she said, Pastor, she said, I got a word from the Lord for you. I said, okay. And she said, it's powerful here. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, the presence of the Lord is awesome here. Yes, ma'am. She said, I want to tell you something. If you'll stop preaching holiness the way you do and separation the way you do, she said, if you'll stop preaching it so hard, this building will not be able to contain the revival and the harvest of people. Uh, you want to know why? Well, let me just finish the story. I looked at her. I said, ma'am, I do not receive that at all. I said, in fact, if anything, I think I need to preach it harder. With greater love and greater compassion. Why? Because I have an understanding when you live within the boundaries, glory, glory, glory. I don't want something insignificant. I don't want a church that just splashes in the shallows of his glory. I don't want just a crowd. I don't want just people. I don't want just a, a conglomeration of individuals. No, 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 no. I want a family of God that is walking in the power and the dimension of the glory of God's spirit. Come on. I want something deep in this church. I want the glory of God to be deep. I don't want it to just be waters up to our ankles. I don't want it to just be waters up to our thighs. I want it to be waters that we swim in. That's the glory that's been promised to us. The glory. Temple, the temple, the temple. He's got a pattern. He's got a pattern. We've got to do things that are uncomfortable. We got to be willing to do things that are inconvenient. And God speaks them to us and he says, Cut it out. Don't do this anymore. Cut that out of your life. Stop living that way. That's not pleasing to me. 
You're putting that before me. You're spending way more time with that than you spend with me. And it's uncomfortable and it's inconvenient. But the Lord is asking, are we willing to be inconvenienced in order to see greater glory? What do we want more? It all comes down to that, young people. It all comes down to that hyphen. What do we want more? We trick ourselves sometimes and we deceive ourselves sometimes by doing whatever we want during the week and we come to the house of the Lord and we say, God, we want more of your glory. We want more of your glory. We want more of your glory because it sounds good and it makes us fit in. But the reality is, is we don't want any more of his glory. It's just something we're saying because if we want more of his glory, it's not about what you say on Sunday. It's about what you do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. It's about the boundaries and it's spirit. I submit to the boundaries. That's where the glory comes from. That's where the glory comes from. And so he expected his temple to look exactly like what he wanted his temple. Not just the big things. <laughs> not just the big things. Well, you know, I'm not going to steal no more and I'm not going to cuss no more. I'm not going to commit adultery no more. Not just the big things, but everything. Not just the things that are most noticeable, but things that nobody will ever notice. That's why he says, that's why he says in, in, in our text, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Spirit is lowercase s which speaks of our desires, our passions, our thoughts, and the intents of our heart, which is everything that happens in places that can't be seen. And then he says, and glorify God in your bodies, which is everything that can be seen. So he says this, you are my temple, and I have an expectation of you. That you are allowing my spirit to dictate what can be seen and what can't be seen. My spirit should give you instruction and you should be obedient to the instruction for what you look like outwardly and what we look like inwardly. Because how many know it's not enough that we just look outwardly? Because you can dress like an apostolic. Or better yet, you can dress according to the pattern that was established in the New Testament for how an apostolic believer should look. And have bitterness and jealousy and backbiting. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you come to the altar and you got some issue against a brother or a sister, you leave the offering at the altar and you go make it right. Don't, don't come up here and lift your voice loudly and try to draw attention to yourself about how spiritual and godly you are when you're talking about other people in the church behind their back. Is that all right? Individuals that want to come across as spiritual and godly and holy. They want to come across as being, you know, this super spiritual individual. And yet they're tearing other people down. And they're gossiping about other people. They're slandering other people. That's not the will of God. You might look outwardly like the Spirit wants you to look. But inwardly you're not being submitted to the Spirit of the Lord. And he's telling us it's not enough that you are just submitted to me as it looks outwardly. You also have to be submitted to me about how you look inwardly. Why? Because you're my temple. And you don't get to choose what my temple looks like. Come on, Jesus. You don't get to determine what my temple looks like. I determine what my temple looks like, both on the outside and on the inside. And if you want to be a true worshiper, you'll submit to my voice, my calling, and my word, and my man. 
when instruction is given to you for how I want you to look outwardly and inwardly. Lift your hands in the presence of the Lord. Stand to your feet and lift your hands. I'm not quite done, but I'll finish with you standing. Lift your hands unto the Lord right now. We are temples of the Holy Ghost. We do not get to choose what we look like outwardly and inwardly. Our responsibility is to submit ourselves to his will. Submit ourselves to his plan. Submit ourselves to his purpose. Submit ourselves to his word. Submit ourselves to what he says to do. In over 20 years of pastoring, almost 25 years of full-time ministry, I have never seen an individual who was red hot on fire for God who wanted to let down on any area as it revolves around their temple. Never. Ever. The only people who ever want to say, ah, I don't think we need to do that. And I don't think we need to do that. The only people who I've ever seen that do that are those who are carnal. 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 Jesus, help us right now. See, carnality does not release the glory. Selfishness, self-centeredness does not release the glory. Fighting against his word does not release the glory. An unsubmitted heart does not release the glory. Passionless prayer does not release the glory. An individual who wants to live life on their terms does not release the glory. Individuals that are so stubborn digging their feet in, kicking against the pricks, digging their feet in on this issue and that issue, even though the Spirit of the Lord has spoken it to them lovingly. They refuse. They don't want to let go. They don't want to change. That kind of individual is not a part of the equation in a local church that releases the glory of the Lord. I want to be part of the equation. So, so, when it was inconvenient, when it was uncomfortable, the people of God built the temple exactly. Submitted to the word, the voice, the commands, the principles, God had established. Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. It wasn't about their class. 
It wasn't about their words. It was about a people who went out in a hot sun to thorny bushes. Hard work, inconvenient, uncomfortable. But they said, we're submitted to the boundaries. And we want the temple to look exactly like what you said it should look like. And the Lord says, now I will honor. Find an altar, find an altar, find an altar, find an altar. Find an altar, find an altar. 